Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll be reading verses 25 through 31. Isaiah 40, 25 through 31. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, they shall. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. That was verse 24. Verse 25. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is not hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the privilege to handle your word. We know that your word is what we need in these days, and we just ask that you might minister to us today from it. I pray for enablement to preach the message so that it is understood, and Lord, I just pray that you would use it to convict our hearts, that we as God's people might realize that we need to wait on you. And I just pray, Lord, that you might help us today to see this clearly from your word. I just ask, Lord, if there's somebody here who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that they would understand that you are waiting on them to accept you, to believe on you, and to trust you as their Savior, and I pray they'll do that today. God, we ask, accomplish your will, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Waiting on God is something that believers have been doing since the beginning of time. We go back in the Bible and find some examples of Old Testament people who waited on the Lord. And I think Noah would be one. And that is Noah at at 500 years old, it says that he had sons. And then the Bible says that God told him to build an ark. We don't know for sure, but it seems that from the scripture, it probably took Noah approximately 100 years to build the ark. At least he was working on it a a long, long time. And then after building the ark, he got on the ark, and he was saved from the flood that came uh, to, to the earth. But I know that Noah learned to wait on God. God gave him a chore to do, and he worked and waited. He worked and waited. And he knew that God was going to judge the earth, and he was waiting on God for the right time that he would do that. He was just doing his part in building the ark. Another person who waited on God was Abraham. Abraham waited for the promised son that God told him he would have. And finally, when he was 100 years old, he had a son. His name was Isaac. It was that promised son. 
And God said from that promised son would come a great nation. There would be a multitude of people as the sand on the seashore and as the stars innumerable. And so he waited. And uh, his son Isaac then finally got married. And Isaac was 40 years old when he got married. Not only that, Isaac was 60 years old when he had children. And so Jacob and Esau weren't born until he was 60 years old. So that's 160 years that Abraham waited. He waited for a, a son, first of all, 100 years, or up to, of course, he wasn't waiting when he was younger, but uh, he waited a long time until he was 100 years old for a son. And then he waited uh, 40 more years for that son to get married, and then he waited 60 more years for that son to have children. And so here he is, 160 years old, and Jacob... Uh, leaves, you remember, and he's away for 20 years. And while he's away, uh, Abraham dies at 175 years old. He never saw what God told him he would have, this multitude of people that were from him, this nation that was from him. He never saw that, but he was waiting on the Lord. Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and he wanted to go to the promised land, and God had promised him that, and he led the children of Israel all the way through the, through the wilderness of 40 years after, of wandering and all that. And when he got ready to go into the promised land, God told him he couldn't go because he disobeyed the Lord once. And you remember, we, he disobeyed the Lord at the rock, and God told him to speak to it. Instead, he smote the rock, and God said, all right, you're not going to go into the promised land. He was waiting for that. He never got to see it. But finally, he will see, he did see when he got to heaven, he saw all that God had prepared there, and someday he'll see his, his, his nation uh, in a favored position in the land of Israel during the millennial kingdom, but he was waiting upon God. And so people wait on the Lord. You know, there was, there's evidence that people wait on God even in heaven. The Bible says during the tribulation period, those that are killed are saying to the Lord, how long, O Lord, wilt you not avenge us? <laughs> You know, they took our life down on the earth. They, and maybe some of them had their heads chopped off. And they, he said, how long? So they're waiting on God. And so waiting on God is something that uh, many people have done and many people are stu- still doing it. But we have to face it. It's hard to wait on God. It's a hard thing to wait on God. You see, we live in an instant society. We're so used to things being instant. Uh, we've all gotten used to the microwave, so you throw something in there you want to eat quickly and you throw something in there in just a couple, three minutes, it's ready to eat. And we're ready for that. And we can have, uh, we put a little coffee thing, uh, cup in the Keurig or, or like some machine like that. And uh, we have coffee at hardly any time. Uh, our news is instant. I mean, we can find out what's happening while it's happening all the way on the other side of the earth. We're so used to instant things. And communications, uh, we pick up a phone and tell, talk somebody. Uh, we have our phone with us now. Years ago, uh, when we were growing up and we were, when I was a young adult, we didn't have such things as cell phones. And if I was out visiting or something and my wife uh, wanted to get in touch with me, she had to try, try to decide where I might be so she could call that person and, and tell them something that I needed to know. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, we stopped taking a, taking a trip. We'd stop, try to find a phone booth. And there was no instant communication like we have it today. But we have uh, uh, the cell phones, and then we have text. 
And then we have uh, emails, and we have Facebook, and all kinds of things of social media. Instant communication, we're used to that. It's gotten to the place that letters are almost unheard of. I mean, I imagine if I'd asked some of the young people today, have you ever received a, a written letter? Some of them would probably say, no. And some of them might even say, what's that? <laughs> but we have written letters. I used to, when I was in college, I wrote my wife, my wife-to-be at that time, every day of the week. And she wrote me every day of the week. And we'd get them a few days later, you know, but we communicated that way. And so if it was ever a time where the, the communication stopped, I was worried. I think I told you this story one time. There's a lady who worked in, a young lady who worked in the post office, and we had thrown her into the fish pond at, 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 uh, at college because that was the tradition. If you found out somebody's birthday, you'd find out uh, when it was, and you'd throw them in the fish pond. We threw her in the fish pond. She got even with us, and she held up the mail for a long time. <laughs> That's a federal offense, but she did it. And she held up my letters, and I did a letter from Evelyn, I think it was for over a week, and I thought something was wrong at home. And so I was worried about it. But that was letters, and I still have those letters. I have a box of letters uh, that I sent her, a box of letters she sent me, and the kids can't wait till I, we die so they can read them. <laughs> but those, those letters are almost unheard of anymore. But today we, we have instant communication. We wait on, waiting on the Lord demands patience, and that's uh, in short supply today. But it takes patience to wait on the Lord. It's hard to wait on the Lord because waiting on the Lord takes faith, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So you believe something even though you don't see it. And so waiting on God is that. You know, We know God's going to intervene. We know God's going to work this out, but we have to wait. We have to be patient. And uh, it's hard to do that. Waiting on the Lord also involves humility. And humility is something that's not very plentiful these days. And that is you have to admit that you don't know. You have to admit that you don't understand. You don't know what to do. You have to admit that you don't have the power to do what needs to be done. And you need to wait on God because God does. And so it takes humility, humbly waiting on the Lord. So waiting on the Lord goes against our grain. It's something that's hard for us to do. But also, we wait on God when we feel a problem can, we, there's a problem that we cannot handle. We do that. We wait on God when we lack the answer we need and know only God has the answer. But so far, He has not revealed to us that answer, so we wait on God. We wait on God when we face an emotional, an emotional hurt so bad that nobody around us can help us, only God can, and so far he hasn't, and we wait like a a person loses their spouse or somebody close to them or a child, and they hurt so bad, and nobody can really alleviate that hurt. Only God can, but they wait on him. We wait on the Lord. We wait on the Lord when we know what he wants us to do, but we don't have the resources to do it, and we don't know what his start date is, and we wait on God. We wait on God when we are sick or disabled and no medical remedy can be found. Only God can help us and so far he hasn't and so we wait on God. We wait on God when our strength fails and that's what Isaiah says in chapter 40. Now we do not only wait on God when we face problems but our life every day is really a waiting on God. If we live the way we should live, we wait on God. 
We wait on God. We don't take an action unless we know that's God's will. And so we wait on God. And many times we pray, what God, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, some things are black and white. Some sins, God says, this is wrong. And we don't have to question that. We know what's wrong and we know what's right and we do what's right. But many, much of our life is waiting on the Lord. It's so much so that the Bible says in Psalm 25, verse 5, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. On thee do I wait all the day. Hosea 12, 6 says, Wait on thy God continually. Yes, it's often hard to wait on God. But this morning I want us to consider some reasons why the Scripture says we should wait on God. Why wait on God? Now, you probably figured out by this time this is a series of messages. I preached on why live godly, why pray, why trust God, why wait on God, and we have some more ahead of us. Why? Why wait on God? The first reason is this, because God tells us to wait on him. You know, it's just like praying. God tells you to pray. Why live godly? God tells us to. Uh, why trust God? God tells us to. Why wait on God? Well, God tells us to. That's a good reason. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's a command. We're to do it. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Lamentations 3, 26 says, It's good that a man should both hope and Quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Hosea 12, 6 says, Wait on thy God continually. Zephaniah 3, 8 says, Wait ye upon me, saith the Lord. So we're commanded to wait on the Lord, and that's a good reason to wait on God. Why wait on God? Because he tells us to. Another reason is this, because God promises to bless those who wait on him. If you wait on God, God promises to bless you. It says it like this in Isaiah 30, verse 18. And therefore will, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Blessed are all they that wait for him. That's interesting. The Lord will wait so he can be gracious to you. So God is going to be gracious to us later. He's already said that. He's going to wait and be gracious to us. So it's a good idea if we wait uh, to receive that grace from him. Because he says, blessed are those, or blessed are all those who wait for him. So if you wait on God, God blessed, promises that you'll be blessed. And so we need to wait on the Lord. God is waiting to be gracious, and so it's a good idea for us to wait for that grace. And so God wants us to wait on him. Also, because God says it's good to wait for him. It's very similar to what we just said, that God's going to bless those who wait on him. But God says it like this in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24. He says, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should hope, both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. You're blessed if you wait, but God says when I look at your action of waiting, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. God says it's good for you to wait on him. And so there's a lot of reasons we should wait on the Lord. God says waiting is good. So we don't know what to do, so we wait on the Lord, and that's pleasing to him. 
Another reason that we should wait on the Lord is because it is the best thing to do when you have been wronged or, tr- or you are troubled by the prosperity of the wicked. I want you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22. And we're also going to look at Psalm 37. So Proverbs 22 and Psalm 37. Proverbs 22 says, verse 22 says, Say not thou, I will, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Now, this is when we face trouble from people who are against us. Maybe somebody does you wrong, and what's your immediate reaction? I'm going to get even. <laughs> I'm going to get even. And we, we want to say, well, I've got to write this because they did me wrong, and I'm going to straighten it out, and I'm going to straighten them out. The Lord says that's the time when you say, no, it's not for me to do. That's for God to do. God will, God will bring the revenge. God will do this. God, it's up to God. I will wait on him. So we wait on the Lord when somebody, is, somebody has done wrong to us. Now let's look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 7. I'm going to read several verses here through verse 17. It says this, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So wicked people are prospering while you're doing right and and, uh, you're you're not doing so well. Things aren't going as well. You don't have as much money as they do, but wicked people are getting by with it. They're doing all these bad things and they're prospering and that bothers you. And the Lord says, Wait patiently for me. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. God says, remember this. When somebody prospers and they're wicked and you're having a hard time, remember this. Yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. We need to have the view that God has. And God knows that, you know, you're going to reap what you sow. God knows, be sure your sin will find you out. God knows that, and he knows how it's going to find them out. Now, we don't know, but we know that God knows, and so we need to wait on him. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of an upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord says, wait, I'll take care of them. I'll, I'll make it right. You wait on me because I'm the one who will set the, settle the score. And so we wait on God. And so we need to wait on God because God says that's the best way to handle those who are against you That's the best way to handle it when you think things are not quite right and the wicked are prospering and you're struggling. You just wait on God 
And so we wait on the Lord. Why wait on God? Here's another reason. Because God hears those that wait on him. You see, we want to get our prayers answered, and God says he hears those who wait on him. Let me read you the verse, Micah chapter 7. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I'll wait for the God of my salvation, and he will hear me. You see, God hears the prayers of those who believe him, who trust him, and wait on him. He hears the prayers of those who don't get all in a frenzy because things aren't happening now. They trust the Lord. They wait on God, and God hears their prayers. So we need to wait on God because God will hear us. Another thing about, about God, waiting on God, is we, we wait on God because God strengthens those who wait on him. Now we get back to our text this morning in Isaiah chapter 40. If you've been here long, you probably know this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40. You see, Isaiah chapter 40 says the Lord will strengthen those who wait on him. There's a couple other verses in the Bible that speak about this I want to mention, and that's Psalm 59, verse 9. It says, because of his strength will I, will I wait upon thee. When the enemy is strong, I wait on the Lord. Because of his strength, the context that I think is talking about the enemy, because of his strength, I'll wait on thee. And so when the enemy seems strong, we need to wait on the Lord because the Lord is much stronger than the enemy, so I wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 14, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And then that passage in Isaiah 40 that we read, it says uh, in verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? He said, don't you know, believer, don't you know that God never faints? God never gets weary. He's all the time powerful. He never wears down. He's all the time the same every day. He is all powerful. God never gets weary. And he says this, because he never gets weary, he gives power to those that faint. We faint, so where do we get our strength? Do we get our strength in a, in a Mountain Dew? No. We get our strength from the Lord. We get our strength from the Lord. The Lord says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. I mean, it gets to where even people who you wouldn't think would get tired, get tired. And the young men get tired. And uh, the young men utterly fall. He says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So God says believers do get, get faint. They do get weary. They lose their strength. But he said when that happens, you go to the Lord and you wait on him and he will renew your strength. That strength doesn't come immediately many times. It comes later. When you wait on the Lord. And the Lord has a purpose for you being weak. You remember Paul said when he was weak, he learned that uh, his strength was in the Lord. When I'm weak, I'm strong, he says, because I lean on the Lord. I trust him. And so we're to walk with the Lord and trust him and lean on him and wait for him. And he'll give us strength. Now, Isaiah 40 is a wonderful chapter. I'd like to point out some things about it this morning. 
Isaiah 40 gives a picture of people, just man in general. God gives a picture of them. And he says it like this. In verses 6 and 7, he compares man to grass. Now, that humbles you. The Lord says, all of you are just like grass. <laughs> and, you know, the grass, uh, it grows up and gets a flower on it, and it looks beautiful and everything, just the, the grass of the field. But then it withers away and dies down, and he says, man's like that. Uh, you know, you have this person who's known to be a, a very attractive man. Maybe he's a movie star. And all the girls say, woo, you know. That is so silly, <laughs> so silly. But then there's this woman that she's very attractive, you know, and the men say, wow, she is a beautiful lady. The Lord says, she's just grass, he's just grass, and what looks so beautiful is going to fade away, and they don't have to live very long till you find out that's true. <laughs> it fades away. And the Lord says, all the men are like grass. But then he says this. In verse 15, he says, all the nations... Not just one nation, but all the nations. The United States and, uh, you know, England and uh, India and Japan and Russia and China and Iran and all the rest of them, all of them grouped together. God says, when I look at them, guess how what they look like? Like a drop in a bucket. <laughs> a drop in a bucket you got this whole bucket of water, and there's one drop that falls out of the bucket. You don't concern yourself about that one drop because it's so insignificant. God says, compared to me and my great power, all the nations are like a drop in a bucket. And then he says something else, verse 17. All the nations are nothing. Now, nothing is zero. And then he adds this in the same verse, and he says all the nations are less than nothing. <laughs> That's, that's in the minus territory. And so God says, the things that impress you don't impress God. And God says, all the nations are less than nothing. And then he says, as far as people are concerned, verse 22, he says they're like grasshoppers. Now, I remember as a kid walking through fields, maybe we were hunting or something, and there'd be grasshoppers jumping all over the place. And I never remember a time when I stepped on a grasshopper and stopped and said, oh, my, I hurt that grasshopper. I didn't do that. Just a grasshopper. Now, the Lord does care about us, but he says, in relation to me and how great I am, the people are just like grasshoppers. That's how great God is. And so God says we are really little. But then God says, let me give you some pictures of myself. And he says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, he says, My word, what I say, stands forever. It's never wrong. It's never contradicted. His word stands forever. The Bible says in another place, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word stands forever. Then he says, God is so great, in verse 12, that he measures the water on creation day when he made all the water. On the, remember, the beginning, the water covered all the earth. And God made the earth rise up, and so there were seas, and there was land, which was called earth. And uh, God made all the water, and they said, but when on creation day, when I did that, I measured out the water in the hollow of my hand. 
Now today we think of the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and God is so big that all of it's just in the hollow of his hand, and he measures it out. That's how big God is. Don't you think he's worth waiting for? <laughs> Don't you think he can give us strength when we're, when we're weak? And so he says he measures out the water. And then he says he, in verse 12, as far as the heavens, he says, who measure the waters in the hollow of his hand and meet it out heaven with a span. A span is the distance from your thumb to the end of your little pinky. When you stretch out your hand, mine's sort of crooked these days, but you stretch out your hand, it's, the average, it's nine inches. And the Lord says, I am so great that all the universe I measured out with a span. The Bible says in another place, when I consider the work, the heavens, the works of thy fingers. I remember Dr. Whitcomb in, in seminary years ago, I'll never forget him standing up, and he says, men, when God made all the heavens and all the stars, it was finger play to him. And he said, he just went like that. <laughs> the works of his fingers. So God says, I measure all the heavens with just a span. God measured them out. And then look at what verse 12 says again. And, uh, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure. Can you imagine how much dust there is in the earth? And all the dirt. He says he measured, uh, comprehended the dust in a measure. And he weighed the mountains in scales. All the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. God's painting a picture of how great he is in comparison to man. He is so great. And then verse 22, he gives another word picture. He says he stretches out the heavens as a curtain. It's like this morning I got into the shower to take a shower, and we have a shower curtain, so I just pulled the curtain. The Lord says when God made the heavens, that's how easy it was for him. He just... There it was. Spoke it into existence. He, he stretched out the heavens as a curtain and as a tent to dwell in. You set up a tent. God says, I'm going to set up the whole universe for me to dwell in. So he sets it up. God lives outside of the universe. So he just pitched a tent one day when he made all the universe and all of its greatness. That's how big he is, how great he is. And so God's trying to impress us with how big he is and how little we are. And then he says in verse 25, there is no one his equal. Who can be compared to me? There is nobody my equal. To whom would then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? There is nobody like God. And then verse 26, we read it to begin with. It says, he created all the stars, all the stars, and he named them all. Can you imagine that? Now, there have been estimates of how many stars there are. Nobody knows. But I heard of an estimate of, of like a thousand billion. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, so, they're just innumerable. They can't count them. And the, they get telescopes, look, and they find out even more. It's so vast, and yet God is so great that he names every one of them. And not only that, he sustains them. Because verse 26 says, and, for, and that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Not one faileth. God keeps them burning, or whatever they do, God keeps them. And God is the one who takes care of the universe. That's how great he is. And then in the middle of all of that, there's a picture. And that is, God says, now I've just showed you the, 
how people are. They're just grass. They're grasshoppers. They're nothing. They're less than nothing. That's how little they are compared to me. But the Lord says, out of all those people, I have some people I call my sheep. (laughs) Now look at it in verse 11. Verse 11, he says this, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. God says when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you become one of his lambs. You become one of his children. and He takes care of you. And he loves you and he's concerned about you and he tells you to cast all your care on him because he cares for you and he brings you close to himself and he says, you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. God has a personal relationship with us and and when we consider all all the people of this earth who compared to God are nothing, God says, but my people that trust me, that believe in Jesus, they're my sheep. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. What? I shall not want. So you consider a great God like that. And God says, now you're facing a problem. Rather than you trying to settle it all and and handle it all, why not wait on me to do it? Don't you think I can do a better job than you can? As big as I am, as great as I am, I can handle your problems. And so when you're faint, when you're weak, he says, I'll give you strength. Now, there's nobody that can give strength like the Lord because he is strength. He is powerful. He's all-powerful, and we need to trust him. So all we ever need is found in the Lord Jesus, and that's why he says to wait on him. I was thinking about this, and I wrote some things down. I was lost, and he found me. I was condemned, and he saved me. I I am deficient, and he is my sufficiency. When I, am, when I am attacked, he's my defender. When I'm sorrowful, he's my comforter. When I'm weak, he's my strength. When I'm afraid, he's my rock and my refuge. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. And so I can trust him. And so I can wait on him to strengthen me because he is all that I need. But then there's another reason why I wait on God. Because God never disappoints those who wait on him. Psalm 25 verse 3 says, Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. And the word ashamed means disappointed. You will never be disappointed by waiting on God. Isaiah 49 verse 23 says, They shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Many have been been disappointed who did not wait for the Lord. Many, Many people have been disappointed because they didn't wait on God for the right person to marry and cause them all kinds of trouble. And we can't change things. Once we do something, it's done. We can't change it. But God says, if you'll just wait on me. And young people, let me tell you today, the devil would like you not to wait on God. And he wants to rob you of so many blessings that God has for you. And you might think, well, I have a better idea, or I'm, I'm going to choose this girl because she's so good looking, or I'm going to choose this guy so he's, because he's so good looking. And uh, we're going to make that choice based on the outward appearance, and I'm not going to wait on God. I want, to, I want to, what I want right now. I'm not going to wait on God. God said, you'll be disappointed. I guarantee you'll be disappointed. Sin never satisfies. Sin always disappoints. 
But I'll tell you, God never disappoints. And one reason we should wait on the Lord is because God never disappoints. He never does. And then there's another reason we should wait on God. Because Satan does not want you to wait. Now, we need to remind ourselves who Satan is. The Bible says he's our arch enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Sin looks good, and sin makes, and the devil makes sin look attractive. And you think, oh, if I could only have this, or if I could only do this, or if I could only do that. And the devil makes it so attractive, and people say, this is the way to go. And the Lord says, wait on me. Wait on me. The devil says, don't wait. You remember Adam and Eve? They got us into all this trouble. God gave them everything they could need, everything. And they had everything in the garden except one thing they couldn't have. And Satan tried to convince them that they couldn't do without it. They they shouldn't wait on God. They should take what they had in front of them. It was so good. Take it now. And they did. And And they fell. They lost their innocency. And everybody's been a sinner ever since that. You see, the devil doesn't want you to wait on God. And if you realize the devil is your enemy, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's out to deceive you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle against the devil who wants to take away the good things that God wants to give us. And so wait on God. But the devil will say, no, don't wait on the Lord. But you should wait on God when you realize who the devil is. He's your enemy. The Bible says he's a liar. And he's a liar from the very beginning. And he will deceive you. He has wiles just ready for you to deceive you. And uh, he has all kinds of stratagems that he has planned out to, 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 to ruin your life. And he's ruined a many of young person's life. And you need to say, I know that. I know that's true. I'm going to wait on God, and I'll guarantee you, you won't be disappointed if you do. So wait on God because the devil doesn't want you to. And then finally, this reason, and that is because God is worth waiting for. Wait on God because God's worth waiting for. I mean, we wait on the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere-present God who's working all things together for our good. You see, we need to understand, while we wait, He works. While we wait, He works. And we know that all things work together for good. It takes time for God to do that. Because lots of times when He's working something in your life for good, it involves other people. And so God's working with them in this circumstance, in that circumstance, and he's working it all together for good. Somebody brought through sin something bad in your life, and you don't know what to do. What you need to do is wait on God. Let him work it out. And God says, I'll work it together in some way that I'll bless you through it. I'll work all things together for good. You see, God is worth waiting for, and we need to trust him. So all day, continually, we wait on God. But the ultimate goal of our waiting is something that's found in Romans and then also in 1 Corinthians and 2 Thessalonians. 
And that is the ultimate thing, is not just waiting for how God's going to do something or how God's going to work in our life or what God's going to work out through this circumstance. It does, all these things are important, and we wait on God for those. But the Lord says there's something we wait on, and that is we wait on the redemption of our body. Someday we're going to have a brand new body. And the older you get, the more precious that seems, that we're waiting on God who's going to give us a brand new body. The Bible says it like this in Romans 8, verse 23. We ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. God's going to give us a brand new body, and we wait on that. Another thing we wait on for God, wait on in relation to God is we wait to see Jesus. Someday we're going to see him. And when you do, it'll be worth it all that you waited on the Lord. The Bible says like this in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We wait for his coming. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 5, and the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Someday we're going to see Jesus. As the song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And if you've waited on the Lord and you haven't taken the shortcut, you haven't done something you shouldn't do because you were waiting on God and you were waiting on him to give you direction, you're waiting on the Lord. When you face Jesus, you'll never be sorry that you did that. But if you don't wait on the Lord and you get involved in things that you shouldn't do even though you're a Christian and then the trumpet sounds and you see Jesus, you'll be so sorry that you didn't wait on the Lord. We're waiting to see Jesus, and that could be any time. I suggest to all of you, us as Christians, that every day, continually, we wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for teaching us these lessons from the Scripture. And I pray that we might remember at least some of the reasons that we should wait on you. And this week, Lord, the devil's going to challenge us He's going to bring toward some young person here a temptation that looks so good. And yet, Lord, if they're a Christian, they should say no to the devil and say, I'm going to wait on God. I pray that they will do that. But all of us, Lord, face things. We need to wait on you. And I pray that we would. As a church, may we be willing to wait on you And Lord, help us to understand that waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we don't do anything. No, there's so many things we're always supposed to do, and we're to do that. We're to pray. We're to live godly. We're to trust you. We're to say no to sin, yes to godliness. We're to help each other. We're to love each other. And we're all to do all these things all day as we're waiting on you. I pray that you'd give us strength to do that, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.